0: Top officials from the U.S. and China discuss reducing tariffs over video conference, but experts say it may not be enough to help China's trade issues. NASA issues a warning against Beijing, saying it plans to take over the moon in the coming years. But China fires back, accusing the agency of pushing a smear campaign. Heavy downpours and floods are sweeping China, and forecasters say this year's rainy season isn't letting up. Shanghai announces two new rounds of mass virus testing, while another city with seven million people is ordered back under lockdown. And we take a closer look at Confucius Institutes and which U.S. universities are still running them. Welcome to China in Focus, I'm Tiffany Meyer. With much of the nation enjoying cookouts and sending up fireworks, the White House was working to keep lines of communication open with Beijing. Officials from the U.S. and China spoke on Monday via video conference. Discussion was between Chinese Vice Premier Liu He and U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and mainly focused on one topic, American tariffs on Chinese goods. The meeting comes amid predictions that Biden could reduce partial tariffs on more than $350 billion worth of Chinese imports this week. During the meeting, China's top trade negotiator told Yellen that the idea of lifting additional tariffs and sanctions was of great interest to China. He also lobbied for the U.S. to treat Chinese companies, in his words, fairly. The Treasury Department called it a candid and substantive conversation. The exchange marked the first time top policymakers met from the two nations since late 2021. The Biden administration is currently reassessing Trump-era tariffs on a wide range of Chinese goods. It's expected to pause some levies in an effort to curb soaring inflation at home. Starting in 2018, Trump began placing tariffs on Chinese imports worth over $350 billion each year. According to U.S. Trade Representative's office, $50 billion of those are due to expire in July and August. Despite the tariffs, China's trade surplus with the U.S. still grew last year. Some economists believe eliminating tariffs will only have limited impact, as the Biden administration is holding firm to its tough trade stance with China. China is rejecting a warning from NASA this week. NASA's chief warned that China might take over the moon as part of a military program, saying Beijing has always called for the building of a community of nations in outer space. China described that statement as irresponsible on Monday. Beijing has stepped up the pace of its space program in the past decade, focusing on moon exploration. The country achieved its first uncrewed lunar landing in 2013. It plans to send astronauts to the moon towards the end of this decade. The U.S. space agency chief accused China of having stolen ideas and technology from other nations to build its space program, which he says has military purposes. But China fired back soon after. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Zhao Lijian claimed the U.S. is constantly pushing a smear campaign towards China on this issue. NASA plans to send a crewed mission to orbit the moon in 2024 and make a crewed landing by 2025. While China is planning uncrewed missions to the moon's south pole sometime this decade. Heavy rain is expected to hit central and southern China over the next few days as expansive rain belts sweep inland from the country's southern coastline. China's first typhoon of the year brought heavy rain and wind to several southern provinces over the weekend. China is historically prone to floods, which trigger landslides and swamp many acres of farmland. But increasingly intense rainfall and flooding are said to test its emergency response systems in the coming years. According to an official from China's Ministry of Water Resources, the country entered its rainy season half a month earlier than normal this year. An average rainfall will increase by 10 percent compared to previous years. In recent weeks, historic rainfall and flooding in southern China have destroyed property, paralyzed traffic and disrupted the daily lives of millions. Forecasters predicted last week that extreme weather, including unusually heavy flooding, is expected to continue in China through August. A southern Chinese city home to 7 million residents is going back under lockdown. Now, no one is permitted to leave the city and residents in high-risk areas are confined to their homes. Public transportation is also suspended indefinitely. The city is called Wuhi. Authorities there launched the lockdown orders on Friday. Thousands of locals are said to have already been sent to quarantine centers. The reinstated rules comes amid the start of a new COVID-19 outbreak there. The first of the new cases was discovered last Tuesday. Over the next four days, the city virus tested over 5 million people, more than 70 percent of its population. State-run media reported that the massive rounds of testing brought back just over 100 COVID cases. Though due to the Chinese Communist Party's history of under-reporting pandemic data, that number could be much higher. Videos shared online show crowds waiting to be bused to quarantine locations on Friday. Though temperatures reached 90 degrees that day, virtually all people there were seen wrapped in hazmat suits while waiting for transportation.
1: Look, they're sealed up tight, like a prison. Many risky areas are inaccessible now. Many residential communities are locked down. We have to do COVID-19 tests every day. It's more intense now. It's very disruptive to our lives.
0: Beyond the city, one of China's top financial hubs is also on the hunt for new virus cases. Authorities in Shanghai announced two new rounds of mass testing for the city's 25 million residents on Tuesday. That's set to happen over a three-day period. Communist China's leader says dynamic COVID-19 zero strategy isn't going anywhere. That includes measures like mass virus testing for citizens and strict lockdown measures. But some local authorities have reportedly slowed or stopped mass testing as they cope with local financial difficulties. Here's more.
2: Chinese leader Xi Jinping has required local authorities to stick to the country's COVID-19 zero strategy at all costs. The strategy features mass testing for citizens and strict quarantine. It aims to completely cut off infection spread. But the question is, who pays for it? China's National Healthcare Security Administration announced at the end of May that local branches of government under the Chinese state should fund their area's mass testing costs. A Chinese finance news agency report from last year sheds light on the situation. That study focused on 36 cities, all of them capital cities of their respective provinces, as well as megacities with populations of 10 million or higher. It found that combined, they paid a whopping $18 billion plus for mass testing. In the first five months of this year, local authorities have also seen income drops totaling $6.7 billion. That's when local authorities began to change how they handle mass testing requirements. The Chinese CDC's data shows that since the end of May, two-thirds of China's provinces have adjusted their pandemic prevention policies. Many local authorities either reduced or stopped mass virus testing. A China affairs analyst believes the shift was caused by financial challenges.
1: They reduce the testing. The first goal is to reduce financial pressure. If the mass PCR testing continues regularly, the already tight local finances will face the brink of collapse.
2: China has also relaxed some of its COVID-19 rules. For one, it reduced the centralized quarantine requirement for foreign travelers arriving in China from 21 days quarantine to 10 days. U.S.-based Chinese economist Zheng Shuguang pointed out that in reality, local authorities have already somewhat given up on the policy.
1: To a certain extent, their actions mean they're giving up the zero-case policy, but they can't say it openly. They have to continue to talk about it because Xi Jinping cannot afford to lose face.
2: Xi Jinping reiterated the strategy during a visit to Wuhan last week noting that he would rather slow down the economy than give up the policy.
0: The Wimbledon tennis championships are in the spotlight, but not just because of the athletes competing. Beyond the tennis courts, reports are flowing in from the spectator stands. NTD sports reporter Dave Martin has more on what happened Monday.
3: The day was not without a little controversy though, as four activists of the Free Tibet organization wearing where is Peng Shui t-shirts were stopped by security at Wimbledon and had their bags searched. A similar incident occurred at the Australian Open, where a spectator was removed for wearing such a shirt before the decision was reversed. Peng is a retired Chinese women's tennis player who accused a high-ranking member of the Chinese Communist Party of sexual assault via social media last November. The post was soon removed and Peng dropped from sight for several weeks. In response, the WTA suspended all tournaments in China. Peng then made an appearance at the Olympics in February and denied accusing anyone of sexual assault. The WTA though is stuck with their demands of a formal investigation into her allegations and a private meeting with her to discuss the situation. And in international basketball, a fan at a FIBA game in Melbourne, Australia was prohibited from displaying Taiwan's flag over the weekend. That's according to a report by SBS, an Australian news outlet. Basketball fan Andrew Faruja says he was stopped by security personnel while trying to enter the arena with a Taiwan flag. Security personnel then produced a list of banned items, including Taiwan's flag, and said the guidance came from FIBA. The game was between China and Taiwan, where China won 94-58. China considers Taiwan part of its own territory, despite the Communist Party never having ruled the island. The regime pressures governments and international organizations against using the name Taiwan. In FIBA competition, Taiwan competes as Chinese Taipei and does not use the traditional flag. FIBA told SBS that the use of flags at games was limited to approved countries and federations. The fans said he understood that Taiwan plays under the banner of Chinese Taipei in competition, but does not see why that would prohibit fans from bringing the flag to the
0: game. Now, we'd like to take a minute and address a request from our audience. We recently reported on Chinese Confucius Institutes in the U.S. that closed down, but are coming back under new names. Some viewers asked for more details. Beijing markets Confucius Institutes as Chinese language, education, and culture exchange platforms. They operate by partnering with international campuses, but are staffed with teachers from China and funded by the Chinese Communist Party. They've long faced criticism for spreading communist influence and for bringing Chinese state censorship into the classroom. In the U.S. alone, dozens have been shuttered in recent years. But a report from National Association of Scholars says about 20 American institutions are still running their Confucius Institutes. Some of them have a long history, like Stanford University and Wesleyan College. Ten more universities that still have Confucius Institutes on their campuses are scattered around the U.S. Two more universities said they would close their Confucius Institutes, but their closing dates remain unclear. Outside the college and university circle, a number of other Confucius institutes are imbued in district schools or other faculty groups. The report adds that more than a hundred Confucius institutes in the U.S. are already closed or in the process of closing. But many colleges and universities have started up similar programs under new names, all while continuing to work closely with the same Chinese institutions they partnered with under the Confucius program. Some of them have also retained the same teachers who staffed their Confucius Institutes or held onto other sorts of relationships. The report also urges people to report new or closed Confucius Institutes or additional information about them to the National Association of Scholars. They can be reached by email at oxnevad at nas.org. Coming up, Taiwan is getting ready for a possible war. On top of the island's troops, civilians are also on high alert. And an expert calls China the worst example of a dictatorship that locks its citizens behind a digital iron curtain. That comes from Katrina Lantas-Sweat, president of the Lantas Foundation. And she says it all ties back to companies here at home. Find out more in just a minute here on China In Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has brought a new spotlight to China's threat to Taiwan. Not only to soldiers, but the average Taiwanese civilian is now preparing for a possible conflict.
4: The war in Ukraine has sparked great concern in Taiwan. There, more civilians are signing up for military and first aid training. They say they're preparing for a possible attack from neighboring China. Many
1: people are paying attention to what is happening in Ukraine. In the past, you might think that war is just something between soldiers, but now it doesn't look like that. Sometimes civilians also need to involve themselves in aid work. Once you're in aid work or resource gathering, you also become a target for the enemy.
4: In New Taipei City, private security company Polar Light Training helps transform citizens into defense and first aid units. People come to get familiar with soft air guns and other military weapons, like a portable anti-tank bazooka this woman is a patent engineer it's her first time learning to handle an airsoft gun
2: this year i saw the invasion in ukraine by russia and i had this feeling despite the international community saying they will provide assistance the help is not going to be there on time so i think that taiwanese people should have the ability to defend themselves
4: The Forward Alliance, a Taiwanese national security and civil defense think tank, provides professional first aid training. Jack Chang is the general secretary of the Taiwan Society of Paramedicine. He says interest in medical first aid is driven by what people see in the news about Ukraine.
1: At each session, we would ask trainees why they would attend first aid classes. Many would mention concerns about the war in Ukraine. So they start to ask themselves, I am a civilian. What can I do to help? What can I do for myself, for my family, or what can I do for others?
4: Lin Ping-Yu points out the key to international intervention in a potential conflict in the Taiwan Strait.
1: The war in Ukraine by Russia has confirmed such a theory. Only when people have shown their strong determination to defend themselves and act on it can they convince the international community to help them.
4: Taiwan is a self-ruled island. It's only about 100 miles off the east coast of China. China claims Taiwan as part of its territory, though the Chinese Communist Party has never ruled the island. British politicians are taking
0: aim at two companies from China. A group of MPs or members of parliament and other lawmakers called peers are calling on their government, asking to ban two CCTV security systems made by firms linked to the Chinese Communist Party. The companies Hikvision and Dahua are accused of being involved in Beijing's repression of Uyghurs in Xinjiang. But reports show the cameras are also in use in UK schools and even government departments. Here's NTD's Jane Worrell with more.
5: At least 67 MPs and peers want the CCTV brands Hikvision and Dahua banned from the U.K. In the U.S., both of these companies are already blacklisted since 2019 because of their connection with Beijing's treatment of the Uyghur ethnicity. MPs from across the political divide called for a ban on the sale and operation of Hikvision and Dahua surveillance equipment in the U.K. They also condemned their involvement in human rights abuses in china the statement was coordinated by the civil liberties group big brother watch there's already been pressure on the uk government to act with the foreign affairs committee saying in 2021 the committee recommends that the government forbids surveillance companies like hickvision which provide surveillance equipment to the detention camps from operating in the uk research from big brother watch found that over 60 public bodies in the uk currently operate Chinese state-owned surveillance cameras, including in councils, hospitals, schools and universities. This most recent call from MPs comes as discussions about the procurement bill resume in Parliament. A proposed change to the bill would allow potential suppliers to be excluded because of concerns about human rights abuses. Jen Entity NTD News, London.
0: Next, we turn to digital authoritarianism, a buzzword in recent years. What does it really mean for how we get our information? And how does the Chinese regime play into it? We sat down with Katrina Lantoswet, president of the Lantos Foundation for Human Rights and Justice, to find out. So it seems throughout history, kind of the way we get information has changed. Now, a lot of it is through digital platforms, and China is a very authoritarian state, but it seems they've even reached into the digital realm. So to begin, how do you see that playing into how we get information?
6: Well, China is the worst example of a dictatorship that has figured out how to lock its citizens behind a digital iron curtain. You know, Winston Churchill famously coined that phrase about an iron, Iron curtain descending over Europe as we saw much of Eastern Europe locked under Soviet communist domination. Well now in China with all the skill that they have they have created the Great Firewall in which as I say they attempt to, to lock their citizens in an information prison and it is really I think one of the frontiers in the human rights movement is to tear down the great firewall of china because i happen to believe that the chinese people uh, want better for themselves i really do believe that i believe that they want freedom and they want knowledge they want information they want to know what's happening in the world and uh, their government is afraid of that governments that are afraid of their citizens having free access to information are governments that um, are not governing with the consent of the governed shall we say and so especially when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party they
0: often release two different statements so one to the outside world and then one to their own people so both sides are getting vastly different information how do we understand what
6: information we're getting from them how can we see through that well I I think that We need to be very skeptical about information that we receive from China. The most recent example obviously would have to be the COVID pandemic, which has wreaked such extraordinary havoc, really death and destruction um, and economic devastation around the world. And I think getting back to the issue of internet freedom and sort of the great firewall, if China was not sort of a digital prison, the world, the West, the United States would have known much sooner, hmm, something, something's going on in Wuhan. There's a problem. There may be a, a new threatening virus emerging. And we could have taken steps much, much earlier to begin to, to respond to what turned out to be an extraordinary challenge for all the world. Um, China was not forthcoming and still has not been forthcoming with the actual facts surrounding the uh, origin of the COVID virus, we don't know, but we know we're not getting the full story. We know that. We know that China is not being truthful. That doesn't mean we can jump to automatic conclusions, but it does raise concern. Given this
0: digital iron curtain in China and just the reach of, say, social media nowadays and for what the U.S. stands for, really, democracy, human rights, what is the role of U.S. companies, then, in playing into this, say, Google or YouTube, all of these massive platforms? How can these companies balance that?
6: Well, I think they need to to do a better job, for starters. They need to acknowledge that when they are facilitating um, the Chinese government in uh, repressing the free flow of information and excusing that uh, that corporate decision by saying, oh, we're just following local laws. That is not an acceptable excuse. You know, many years ago, my late father, Congressman Tom Lantos, who founded the Congressional Human Rights Caucus, held a hearing um, in which, uh, I believe it was Yahoo! at the time, the president um, The chairman of Yahoo was testifying before him. And Yahoo had been implicated in sharing with the Chinese government the identity of a democracy activist who, after that collaboration, was arrested and imprisoned. And his wife was in the audience that day. And I'll tell you, it's a pretty powerful story. I was very proud of my father on this day as he had these executives from these huge powerful tech companies sitting in front of him. He said to them, while financially and technologically you may be giants, morally you are pygmies for your capitulation to the demands of the communist Chinese government. And he actually called on the uh, chairman of Yahoo to stand and apologize to the wife of this imprisoned Chinese dissident, which he did in this congressional hearing. It was a very powerful moment. If I may be so bold, we need more voices like my father's. We need more American political leaders, French political leaders, British political leaders willing to stand up and and not use polite diplomatic language and not sort of in very measured tones, say, well, we, you know, call upon the Chinese government to, you know, more faithfully adhere to this commitment or that commitment. We need to call them out. We need to we need to harness our own outrage at some of the things, and we need to put a human face on it. I think that's part of what made that hearing so compelling is that the, the wife of this man who sat in jail because of Yahoo's collaboration with an illegitimate request from the government, that made it personal, not abstract. And I think that makes a huge difference. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If
0: you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow.
3: Presenting the heritage of the traditional Chinese martial arts, promoting martial ethics, and reviving the true tradition. The 2022 NTD International Traditional Chinese Martial Arts Competition Preliminaries will be held in New York and Taiwan. On August 28th, the finals will be broadcast live, online, worldwide. Registration hotline, 1-884-779-228. For more information, please visit martialarts.ntdtv.com